So end of last week, over the weekend, I started looking at some statistics. And there were statistics that they're, they're very specific. And obviously, I was looking them up with a purpose in mind. But I wanted to see, just from a number standpoint, has the game of football in Texas at the high school level changed from a number standpoint? Um, and I pulled some numbers, and I, we'll get into those. But before we start breaking them down, I want to ask you, how has the game evolved here at the high school level in Texas in the past 15 to 20 years? Uh, it's gotten softer. A hundred percent everywhere. I mean, I think that's just in general, though. I think it's got, I mean, it's um, obviously not what it was back in the day. Now, I get it for safety purposes. I, I'm not saying that I, you know, I don't agree with any of that stuff. I agree. Uh, but, I mean, I think that's that's played a huge effect from an offensive standpoint. I'm biased. I'm not arguing because I'm an offensive guy. But, uh, but yeah, I think, it's, I think it's a big part of it. So, how much of it do you think is that versus scheme? Or do you think it's 100% rule changes and not scheme-based at all? Uh, honestly, I mean, it's like the ever-evolving carousel. I mean, 25 years from now, everybody's probably going to be wing T. <laughs> I, I, mean, I was listening to the Run, Run the Power podcast earlier today, in, uh, the episode. That's, you know, the guy was contemplating that. If by the time I, I retire is – the game going to be back to wing T or power really? high or so. Yeah. Um, I think everybody's just kind of waiting for the turn in the, in the cycle. But so the reason I pulled the numbers and I want to throw these out there, my, my senior year of high school uh, football season was 2006. Yours was 2010. Mm -hmm. Okay. In 2006 for the state of Texas, what, was the leading passing yards number in 2006? 2006. Passing yards. Who were some quarterbacks in 2006? I think some quarterbacks. Tell me some quarterbacks real quick. Um, what's his name out of Stephenville that went to Texas, transferred to Ole Miss? Jevin Sneed. Jevin Sneed. Giovanni Visa. You probably don't remember him. Uh, Will Cole out of Cedar Hill. Will Cole. Yeah. Will Cole. We'll get to him. We'll get to him. He's part of the other wow. other numbers I pulled up. Yeah. yeah. Arguably the greatest Texas high school football player. Yeah. Maybe ever. Very underrated. Yeah. Um, but what was what was the leading number? For passing yards for that mm -hmm. season? Um single season, I would say twenty five hundred. Okay, you lowballed it a little bit. The the leading passer was it was a he was a four thousand yard passer. Okay. But there was one. Yeah. Who was it? His name escapes me. Um, I can't remember. But here's what I do remember. Logan Turner. Yep. Who just got a head job yep. at Lone Oak. Lone Oak, yeah. Uh, was the Lone Star OC. No, no, no. Yeah. Lone Star OC. Lone Star, just got yeah. the head job at Lone Oak. Logan Turner out of Springtown, playing for his dad, uh, signed with SMU. He was number five in the state, 3,200 yards. Not bad. Wow. Not bad, right? Yeah. Number five. Top 10 was 2,800. So, oh, okay. But we only had one 4,000 yard passer in the state of Texas in 2006. In 2010, how many 4,000 yard passers were there? 10. 
just all over the place. <laughs> uh, I I believe there was so the four thousand yard club was still pretty elite. I think there was two, maybe three. Really? But um, yeah, that was a loaded class. Um, right. That's oh, two thousand ten. Yes. Oh. I was thinking this year. No, 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 no. Take no. that back. No, no, no. Yeah, yeah. Two, yeah, two, I would have said whatever, whatever right. it was. Uh, I think it was three, <laughs> but that I mean that was yeah. a loaded that was a loaded quarterback class. Yeah. Um, which is why I was overlooked. Hundred percent. Yeah. Um, but the top ten, I believe, was in the thirty-five to thirty-six hundred range. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Now fast forward to this year. Yeah. Still going with ten. Oh yeah. I believe it was eight. Really? Top five were 4,500 and higher. Yeah. Um, or 4,200 and higher. But I do know um, the, the Texas Southern commit uh, for a quarterback, um, he was number five with like 42-16. But reflecting on that transition, right, you talk about Logan Turner was number five in the state, 3,200 yep. yards. Um, and then you go to 2010, and number five is like 36 or 3,800 yards. And then you go to 2020, and all five of the top five are 4,000 plus. Yeah. So is that safety, rule change, or scheme? All of the above. All of it. 100%. I mean, I think a lot of that, too, is um, – I mean – Give, give the quarterbacks credit. There is a lot more development now than there was even five years ago. I mean, at this point now, I'd be willing to say majority of quarterbacks that are playing now probably have their own quarterback trainer. So, I mean, I mean, development-wise, I mean, the kids are on a better level, higher level. But it's also like flavor of the week, and in this case, probably, you know, flavor of the decade, um, <laughs> you know, as far as what the offense is and the scheme. And so it is more aired out, you know, give the, give the fans more uh, what they pay for and give them a show to watch. So, yeah. Okay. I and and I agree with a lot of that. I would say personally, um, that I think that it's I think that it's much heavier on scheme and concept, evolution and growth and knowledge. Not that rule change and safety protocols don't have a, a play in or have a hand yeah. in it, but I think I think that we undersell the growth of the high school game quite a bit, um, simply because when some of the other numbers I pulled up that I want to talk about, um, I mean, they play right into those hands. I, I can still remember certain concepts that we ran in high school, and, you know, I can't remember the whole book. But, you know, we were doing our variation of shallow, you know, post-dig, drag, yeah, fade. Yeah. You know, we were running smash. We yep. were running smash stutter. We were doing some of those things, right? But for whatever reason – the game, and I don't know if it's been an emphasis on tempo or what, but the the evolution of either execution or understanding is so much higher, I think, at this point. Yeah. And part of that I definitely would put into technology and the availability of information and, you know, the ability for, for high school coaches to go talk to almost anybody, not just in the country, but in the world. Yeah. About the game of football, what they do, how they run their program, what their yeah. offense or their defense looks like. But the reason I don't, you know, I try and shy away from on this evolutionary aspect of it just being like, you know, oh, well, guys are just more pass heavy now. Because let's, again, look at some of those numbers. Yeah. Okay? Will Cole 
in 2006, led the state in rushing as a quarterback yeah. with 3,000 yards. Yeah, three a lot. A lot. Yeah. Okay, top 10. So top 10 was kind of my barometer because I always felt like you were always going to have the freak out. The Will Cole is going to exist in some form or fashion, right? Right. right. But I feel like top 10 is going to give you a good spectrum of what the good guy, the really good runners or throwers yeah. are doing. Top 10 in 2006 was 1,800 yards. A lot of 1,800-yard rushers in the state this past year. Yeah. A lot of 1,800-yard rushers. Absolutely. Uh, 2010, just in that four-year period, it jumps up to a little over 2,400 yards for the top 10. Yeah. yeah I've always been curious about field position. Like it's increased and been at more of an advantage offensively. You know what I mean? I mean, just let there's – like the touchback rule. Yeah, touchbacks. Uh, I mean, e even, I mean, just the rules and as far as, you know, punt returns and whatnot, I mean, it's, you, you really don't see them backed up heavily, you know, minus five anymore. I mean, it's teams now are more of like, oh, let's just you know, go and, you know, get a 25, go from there. For sure. But. For sure. Uh, and then just kind of to, to cap it off, um, I believe the top 10 for, 20, for 2020 was right in that uh, – 25, 2600 range. So there wasn't a huge jump yeah. from from 10 to 20 as there was from 6 to 10, yeah. which I also then found interesting. But when you look at those numbers and you just kind of average out the top 10, pretending mm -hmm. that one played with you know 10 or 10 played with one, vice yeah. versa, from passing to rushing, sheer production has gone up. Yeah. And yeah. what I'm curious about is – is that more of a tempo thing or like I said, is it conceptual? Is, is the game changing just from an expectation standpoint? No, I mean, you're right. I mean, it is evolutionizing a hundred percent. I mean, we're, we're getting better. Um, I mean, defense coaches are getting better too, but offensive coaches are getting, you know, they're, they're getting out of the old, you know, old school frame of mind of, you know, run the ball every single time, blah, 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 blah. It's changed. What I would be interested in just from a, you know, a study perspective, I want to see what the passing yards difference is from those time frames, 4A and below. Why Why 4A below? Just for anybody that's um, – I, I, I think a lot of the, the smaller schools in the state of Texas, they, they tend to or they, they used to tend to be more run heavy. You, you kind of started seeing more, you know, the passing teams. Now I get it, Art Browles whatever it was, Sundown High School or something like that. I don't know where he started at, but it was a smaller school. Right. That's, I get it. But for the most part, most of the smaller schools, they're, they tend to be, you know, heavier run. For sure. And yeah, um, and then you also – you always – I mean, Canadians have been throwing the ball all over the place for – 2007. For years, that's right? It, yeah, so I mean, changed for, the air raid. For, you know, almost 15 years. So yeah. you, you're going to have those outliers, but I would definitely agree – you know, and that's still reflective of the really good teams, yeah. you know, because when I looked at those top rushing stats, um, I think number he he was either number four or number six uh, kid out of Jim Ned uh, that w basically willed them to a state championship. Now they had a lot of kids that made a oh, lot of great pressure. plays. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Um, you know, he was like four or six in the uh, state in rushing. Yep. And, you know, that's a 3A school. Yep. So the number and then the Howitzville kid that's headed to UT, he yeah. was number one at yep. like twenty nine hundred. So what about um, Dalton Brooks, didn't he kill it too or something like that? The, uh, I mean, I don't. I, I those were kind of the two the names that just you know you. stuck out just from playing in state championships yeah, yeah. and and being knowing that they're from small schools. So, um, 
But yeah, so I just always thought that that was interesting because um, I think that high school football coaches, especially here in the state of Texas, are, you know, it's a unique fraternity of commitment to the game, commitment to the kids, commitment to the classroom. Commitment you know, to the state. Right, 100%. There's yeah. an expectation to be upheld. Yeah. Um, but I, I do think that the growth that we've seen in a production standpoint has come through an availability of information, yeah. right? Um, I can't attest to what coaching school looked like in 2010 or 2006, but what I can attest to is what it's consistently looked like since 2015 when I started attending, mm-hmm. which is we are going to go out and do everything we can to bring the best of the best in the, in the football world to speak to you guys and be available to you guys for an information overload almost. Yeah. You can you can leave there. You know, we've talked about it before. It's really easy to leave coaching school and be like, I got all the answers this yeah. year, right? Yeah. And rewrite your whole playbook. Um, and that's simply because you got guys that do a lot of different things really, really well talking to you about what they do really well. Um, and we can buy into that and say, you know, that's – they're so good at it, and I feel like he shared with me to the point of comprehension mastery to where we need to go do that. Oh, yeah. So you can you can find yourself deep down the rabbit hole for sure, but yep. you know the availability of information and the commitment of the state and the association to provide as much information as possible, I think, is a huge factor in that. Along with, you know, the game itself, the expectations. Right? There's yep. always that trickle down effect. Sure. You know. The NFL has kind of catered towards put more points on the board, more explosive plays, protecting yep. guys because it is entertainment, you know, and, and then the college guys want to be in environments or systems that are going to prepare them for those type of situations. Yep. Um, and, and the trickle-down effect continues. But I think one of the things that does get overlooked quite a bit in the growth of the game for, for our state is the commitment to continued education that staffs all over the state and the association itself mm-hmm. has really poured into. Yeah, shout out Joe Martin. 100%. What's <laughs> yeah. up, Joe? <laughs> now, yeah, I'd be interested too. I mean, just to, you know, not to continue to piggyback off of that. But um, looking at the development from the kids going from, you know, senior year in high school to college, like, are they, like, what's the readiness level from 20 years ago compared to now? Because that would also, I think, be a direct correlation from what we're talking about right now. For sure. And the thing that I've I've noticed even more so this year is, you know, even from four, five, six years ago, Alabama is, you know, the elite of the elite from a consistency standpoint. And, you know, hearing former Alabama players like Julio Jones and those guys talk about expectations and and what the what the the culture is in that locker room and within that program, um, how high those the standard is Mm -hmm. but think about in the last two years how many true freshmen or three years how many true freshmen have played there well yeah it's absurd i'm saying that i mean you go crazy you go back to to 12 13 you go back to 2009 when they they played texas in the national championship 2012 when they played notre dame those were senior or upperclassmen heavy football teams and guys went there and said i'm going to alabama and I'm not going to play for 18 months. That's right. But I'm going to get really, really good. And I may only start for one year, but I'm probably going to be a third-round draft pick at worst. Yeah. And that is just not the case anymore. Mm. And a lot of guys, I've heard conversations about, well, oh, but that's because 
they they want those freshmen to come to them, and so they know that they've got to play them. I, bull crap. Yeah. I think it's because they're there and they're good enough to play, so they play them. <clears throat> well, yeah, it comes back to the development. They've been developed. I mean, that that typical gap from 18 to 25 year old man, um, which is still big, but it's not as big as it used to be anymore. And I think consider being in like air raid offense, spread offense, whatever you want to call it. There's a lot more rotation too than there used to be. Yeah, you're not putting 11, maybe 12 or 13 guys right. saying, "All right, here's our here's our offense," yep. and they don't see anybody else during the game. Correct. I mean, you're you're throwing passes to six, seven, eight, nine guys in one game. Yeah. You know, and it's reflective in the NFL. I think I saw Drew Brees had a game this year. He taught he he completed a pass to like eleven people. Yeah. He, yeah. Which the goat. Right. Exactly. And and that's an that's a testament to knowing one, who one you of have. The goats, sorry. Right. Yeah. Uh, that's a testament to knowing who you have and what they're really good at yeah. and putting them in those situations to be successful. Yep. And the number's not always going to be the double digits, but if you've got seven guys catching a pass or if you've got four guys with more than three carries, yeah. that's a really yeah. efficient offense. That's a really effective offense. And like you said, defense coordinators are going to absolutely hate. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. if I'm a linebacker or anybody, it's, well, shit, I don't know where it's going now. I mean, it's compared to back in the day, it's like, oh, it's – Stop number seven. Right. And we're okay. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, it's different now. That's for sure. Um, so, speaking of different, coaching has gone way younger, um, which could also be maybe a testament to what's going on with the production. That being said, I've always been curious. So, back in the day, Tarleton State, Deshaun Phillips. Is that correct? Yeah, Deshaun yes. Phillips. Big-time player. Um, he um, – there was multiple times to where – he didn't have to do what a lot of the other teammates would have to do. Uh, he would get by with a lot of other things as well. <laughs> and that being said, I've always been curious with each coach how they handle their players from your regular player to your dude who is going to eventually play on Sunday. How, like, where does he stand from a program standpoint? What, what are the, I mean, is it based on, you know, him, what, what does he do compared to the other guys? If he gets in trouble, do you treat him any differently? Um, are you afraid of what the other guys are going to see if you do treat him differently? Uh, I feel like that has changed big time in the last few years. Uh, just curious of your opinion on that. Um, I will, I'll be completely upfront and honest with this question because I feel like I really try and be as upfront and honest and transparent with my players about this. I – subscribe to the Wade Phillips philosophy of you do not treat all your players the same and you do not coach <laughs> everybody the same. And that yes. is not because Love. that is not because <laughs> we play favorites. That is because you, yep. Johnny, and you, Joe, are not the same player. You don't have the same strengths. You don't have the same weaknesses. We're not going to use you in the same way. Yep. You don't have the same personalities. The other side of that is if we are pushing our kids to – empty the tank every day they're here and work to their absolute best. And I got a guy over here that's doing exactly that. Yeah. His leash is a little bit longer than the guy that I got to, you know, stay on his shoulder. You you got to finish. You got to do these things. You got to push harder, right? It's just like – I mean, this is simply metaphorical purposes, but it's just like when you have a pet – you got a dog that's well-trained, does what he's supposed to, that you have trust and confidence in. Yep. You're going to go on a walk, and you ain't taking the leash. Yep. You got a six-month-old six puppy that's still trying to learn the ropes and figure things out and doesn't always do what he's told. 
he's going to have a leash on. Yep. Right. And I think relationships are going to be a huge factor into that. If, if I've got a guy that started 25 varsity high school football games for me, and I've got a guy that started three yep. and player a makes a mistake. Me and him are going to have a way different conversation than player B that's only started two games. Mm -hmm. Because my yeah. expectation is that he had a momentary lapse of judgment, yeah. something that I've probably seen him be successful at multiple times. Whereas if this is a new issue, I got to nip it in the bud. I got to take care of that thing right now. Yeah. So we never have to deal with it again. Or it's very few and far between that something like this comes up and we can move forward. Now, the caveat to that is how you start the, the season relationally does not have to be how you end it. Mm -hmm. yeah. My, you know, I'll never forget the first time I ever saw like a mic'd up or anything on NFL films. Brian Dawkins' pregame huddle, you know, and he's screaming at all the Eagles, you know, respect is, uh, is earned, it's not given, right? He, there was a lot more to the speech, but, you know, respect, trust, and confidence are things that are earned. Mm -hmm. And – you can earn them in two-a-days to a certain extent. Right. But you can also earn leaps and bounds of them on Friday night. Yeah. And on the flip side, you can lose respect, trust, and confidence in two-a-days. And you can lose it in leaps and bounds on Friday nights. Yeah. So, for me, I don't, I don't want to approach every kid the same. You know, we'll address a unit or an offense or a team, right? But at the end of the day, there's certain relational activities within a position group, okay, or an offense that is going to vary from player to player. And I think that's the position coach's job to build that relationship and understand not just what pushes that kid's buttons, right? Yep. But where does he stand? Right? There's a hierarchy. Okay. Yep. And and that's okay. You know, everybody doesn't get treated equally. That's life. And this is a great opportunity for you to understand that football is a reflection of that life. And you can be treated a certain way by doing the right things every day on a consistent basis and earning that trust and that respect yep. and that confidence from your coach, from your teacher, from your boss, yep. right? Any of those people. Okay. What if they're both freshmen? You have freshman A, five-star, and freshman B, regular. Regular average Joe. So you've been the second I told you what my answer was that you were just waiting for that. Well, yeah, because you so because you went to which makes sense because in Deshaun's case, experience. Yes. Like if it is a senior or something like that, like yeah, you said it great. A relapse. He just kind of forgot. You had you know you had a dumbass moment there. Uh, it's okay, but I think it's even harder the younger you get. Because at some point, whether you're a head coach or a position coach, OCDC, whatever, you do have to make a statement with the younger kids as to, like, what you expect from them. But if you do have that freak, he's a freshman, he's a sophomore, he's going to have those moments, you got to have really good judgment there of when – because he's an emotional kid. I mean, he's still – you know, I mean, they're all emotional. But, you know, he's 14, 15, whatever, 16 years old. And so it's like, man, if it's on Thursday evening – he just screwed up the same way that the average guy kind of just screwed up. Uh, but if I ream him like I just reamed the average guy, it's Thursday night. I don't want him to be emotional for tomorrow's game. Uh, I'm not going to say anything right now. So I think, and that's a very complex 
and specific question, which I mean needs to be addressed. I yeah. think it's something that these are the type of things that coaches need to be talking about and figuring yeah. out, you know, internally as a staff, you know, as an offense or a defense, whatever. But I think in a situation like that, and I think with the younger the kid is, yeah, what kind of mistake was it? If it's effort, sure. it's the doghouse, right? Yeah. That's the one thing we can't have, yeah. right? I don't care how many stars you got, right? But if your mistake is effort-based, we're going to have a problem. Yeah. If it's scheme, if it's concept, if it's a nuance that a young guy is going to be behind the eight ball on, well, then absolutely we're going to have to have a conversation. We're not going to have a butt chewing. Right. And and that comes from – if, and the flip side of that is if a senior – Right or a thirty-game starter has a concept nuance issue, right? Mm-hmm. That's something that could be a butt chewing because you're not yeah. supposed to do that, right? Yeah, yeah. So it it it's individual. It's Maybe. individual. It's individual person and it's in individual situation. I want guys to understand that you know how many different coaches have we heard say. I don't care if you mess up as long as you're doing it 100%. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah, kind of. Yep. But if it's October and we have five pass concepts mm-hmm. and you're still making the same mistake on the same one, well, I don't care if you're doing it 100%. You're just not going to do it anymore because you're not going to get any reps because yep. we're just wasting everybody's time. It's been 10 weeks, yep. and we're still here beating our head against the same wall. We're back to that definition of insanity. That's what they say. It's either coaching <laughs> it or you're allowing it. So, hundred <laughs> percent. It's the worst quote as a coach. Like, you're either coaching it or you're allowing it. Damn it! You're right. <laughs> Hate to see it. I've I've heard and I've heard rumors about that one, and it's the assumption is it's got to be like the most humbling, frustrating thing ever. Because what's the automatic response? Coach, we talk about that every single day an individual. Well, apparently not in a version that he understands. Yeah. So what are we going to do yeah. to no longer have the exact same thing happen every single Tuesday? Yeah, because it puts it back on you as the coach, which nobody wants that. It's like, no. well, surely it's the 16-year-old kid's fault. You know, like, no, no, it very well could be ours. So, And yeah. that's that's reflective, I think, on the the psychology part of coaching because – there is, in, in a growing and evolving world, there is a psychology to, if you're going to approach every kid individually, relationship, expectations, how you handle adversity and situations within that, well, then you can't coach or teach or talk to them all yeah. the same. Yeah. Just because I can look at that kid and say, hey, when number two leans outside, and he's heavy on his outside foot, you need to do this. And he goes, yes, sir, and does it perfectly. That doesn't mean the next guy in line who's going to have to play can be told those same things, and I can go, well, he'll understand it too. Right. If I'm going to change the expectations in my confidence and my respect and my execution, then i got to change the way that I talk to him too. Yeah, that's a good point. Absolutely. I agree. So it's middle of track season. For us, okay. Are y'all similar? Do you know? I know you just, I know you just got there. So yeah, middle ish. Yeah, Yeah. districts coming up. Yep. Um, and I've gone 
I when I say gone back and forth, I don't want this to. It wasn't like a heated discussion. I've had conversations. Is track an absolute must in your eyes for athletic development? For football development or athletic development? Both. Give me give me both answers. Well, I just feel like a lot of coaches say that for football. Right. You know, and I think there's merit to it. Uh, the quick answer just in general, no. I don't think you have to do that. I think I – think, but you got to be smart because majority of kids aren't going to have enough intrinsic motivation to be able to do that daily work, the daily grind to get better. Um, but you're also going to have your kids, you know, they do have that and they do seven on seven, um, probably with that seven on seven practice. Um, and then when they do track practice and then meets, that can become a lot. And that might be more of a hindrance at the end of the day because uh, now maybe he's not as good in spring ball. Right, because he's beat down, and so now he's got to take spring ball off. Well, do you get anything out of that, right? So I, th I think it's very individual. Uh, I think you could push that, you know, yeah, everybody do track. It's going to make you better. I mean, at the end of the day, for most of them, it's just them not going home after school and doing nothing. It's going to do something. Is it imperative? No. I think that's a common sense answer that a lot of coaches don't look at, but I think a lot of them see it in our eyes where it's like, well, if they don't do it, what are they doing? Probably nothing. And they can say they're going to do it, just like the person's like, yeah, you know, in, in the old small town, you know what, I'm just going to stay here. You know, I'll, I'll, I'll go to junior college a year from now, and, and then, you know, and then I'll go. No, you're not. You're going to be there forever. You, you take that one year off, you're not going to do it. Just like the kid's like, yeah, I'm going to, I'm going to work hard. I'm, I'm not going to do trap. I'm going to work hard. No, nope, probably not going to happen. So push them all to do it, but it's not imperative. So, tra so track, in, in your opinion, is a, is a group solution. To an individual potential problem. Uh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think it's I think it's the easy way uh, for a high school program to better everybody. And I think you have to maybe pull some of those guys aside individually who you think they have to do it, or you know what, you're gonna just do the practices. Perfect, because that's the part <laughs> I that's the part I'm yeah. focused on. I don't want to say concerned. But that's where I think the emphasis needs to lie. Track season doesn't mean – you're doing track doesn't mean that you're going to a meet every Thursday or Friday or whatever. It's not what that means. And that's why I wanted to make sure that I said athletic development mm -hmm. because it's really hard to pinpoint a high school sport that track can't have a positive impact on. I mean, I think anytime you're improving cardiovascular endurance, you're improving an athlete. Hundred <laughs> percent. You know, I mean, on just top basic, of so. on top of that, running technique, understanding yeah. mechanics, and you're in an adverse situation where you're being coached, mm -hmm. right? Then the bonus of that is if you are taking your guys to meets, it's competition, and a lot of times, one of the things that you know, I saw, I think it was, I think it was right before COVID hit. Last spring, Duncanville, I saw on Twitter, JV 4x1 ran a stupid low 40-something, 4x1. 38 like, or something. Something <laughs> ridiculous, but it was the JV. Yeah. Three of the four guys started on varsity on defense. And it's, it's a really hard, you know, like you said, the common sense answer is, no, you don't have to do that. 
but you got to do something and it's got to be super effective and it has to be detailed and specific and you have to be motivated in it intrinsically and you have to be committed to a schedule all of those things right and what encompasses a lot of those boxes what can you check well track practice can Mm -hmm. right um and then on top of that kind of the cherry on top of the sundae is how many college coaches do you see tweeting or putting stuff out there about let me see your track times you know ballers run track you know elite guys compete we want to see you at track meets things like that Mm -hmm. which there's a ton of merit to yep right so it's there is no there is no easy answer because i can say no track's not absolutely imperative right but what is imperative a consistent workout schedule mm-hmm. that is going to be technique and cardiovascular driven where you are going to compete on a regular basis okay so i can go somewhere else and hopefully check all those boxes and be consistent with it or i can be on the track team yeah and, and honestly, i i can give you a really good example as to why that might vary from state to state so being in Tennessee the last two years, Nashville in particular, um, most of the coaches there, uh, first off, especially for private schools, you probably have three or four like full-time coaches. Um, and so after that, you probably have maybe 10, if, if you're Lipscomb Academy, you've got 25. Uh, 20, 25, like, you know. True number. Yeah, literally. Uh, assistants. And they're real estate agents, you know, pharmaceutical sales, whatever. Um, that being said, the difference in Texas is, is every coach is full-time and every coach probably has a second sport to whereas whenever I was in Tennessee, like we had our kids, you know, do track, but a lot of them didn't. Why? I didn't have a second sport. So after school, I'm available to be there for those kids to actually work them in the off season to whereas you tell a kid here in Texas, like, Hey, you know, come after school um, and get the work on your own. I can't be there because I have to go do track. I have to go do, you know, powerlifting. So those resources aren't available for them. So, it, you know, big difference there, you know, just from state to state because, shoot, we had every coach there after school for a couple of hours willing to work with every single kid. So it's like kind of take your pick. For sure. Um, but that does bring me to something else that, you know, with UIL changes in um, guidelines, and I don't want to call them restrictions, but just – expectations and regulations, things of that nature. There's been a lot of opportunity for sports specific work basically year round. Mm -hmm. You know, there's been uh, a lot of allowance in, in sports specific work throughout the summer or, um, you know, certain aspects, especially bigger schools with spring ball and things of that nature. uh, The amount of time you can spend with your, with your players now there, and there's even conversation about allowing, high school coaches to coach seven on seven, um, which I think is a very nuanced conversation that we have to be extremely careful of simply because, you know, the second you're like, Hey, you guys can coach seven on seven. What's the expectation? Yep. You're coaching seven on seven. So there, it, it, by, it takes away to, to some of that summertime that we get to spend with our families and things of that nature. Um, but I digress. My point is, is that do you ever fear with having more year-round availability of, of sports-specific work about burnout? Uh, I mean, I think majority of the kids will eventually for sure have burnout. 
I do fear it. I mean, a good point is, is back in, you know, back in Nashville, I think we started helmets like May 28th, <laughs> like two days, I think <laughs> like maybe the second week in June or something like that. So your practice, I mean, legitimately your practice season, your padded practice season is three times longer than your football season. Yeah. So like, I mean, week five, it's like, feels like it's week 12. And so, I mean, I remember, you know, all the coaches we were talking about, you know, what can we change this next year, blah, blah, blah. And I was like, well, I think if anything, you know, we could maybe give them a couple weeks off just because I think it's imperative that you have to have that time off. They're not obsessed with it like we are. Okay. I think they have to have that time off in order to be excited to come back to play football. I, I think you have to. I remember as a kid, like, you know, you go to each sport, basketball, football, baseball. And so, you know, all that kind of comes, you know, back in that circle. And when you've been away from football because you've done your other two sports, you're excited for that. You're excited to go smell the trashed out bin where all the shoulder pads are at just because you haven't been able to smell that and be able to put a pad on in the last six months. To Whereas, like, if you have a three-week break and you're a high school kid, it kind of sucks. You kind of have to fake it till you make it at that point. And that, you know, then you're having to just to push for effort, and, and it's, it makes it tough. Hope and pray that two weeks from now I'll actually still like to be here. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> man, it's 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 tough. So I, yeah, I mean, I, I do fear for that. I mean, I just, I think a lot of coaches nowadays almost just assume that every kid is they go home and they're like thinking about, you know, is it duo or is it, you know, inside zone with same side, you know, kick out. They're not doing that. No, no, they're doing anime or whatever the hell it is. I don't know what it is, but they're, they're doing all that stuff. Like it's it's not that. Yeah, they're not going home thinking about how many different ways can we run split zone. They're yeah, literally doing anything and everything else. Yeah, and that it's something that you know I'm in a place that fortunately these kids are brainwashed when they're in first grade that like no you will love football and you will love it in everything that you do. Your breakfast yeah. will be football. Everything will be football, but I still I, I have legitimate fears, you know, especially about this time as we as we really are in the deep part of of track yeah. season, getting ready for a district track meet. You know, there's a lot of opportunities for our guys to do extra stuff. Mm -hmm. Um, and and I've I know personally I've pulled the reins back on that solely because you know you hear the things about like LSU a couple years ago when they did the, the receivers had to catch like 10,000 balls in the summer. Yeah. Right. Um, which is great. You know, that is at the collegiate level, but if you put those kind of hard parameters, you know, of like, there's a difference in saying, Hey, you guys need to make sure that you're doing extra working on some technique stuff yeah. versus hey, you need to catch a thousand balls a day. Right. right? What's that yeah. kid going to hate to do come, you know, Cinco de Mayo. He's yeah. going to hate catching the football. Yeah. So, you know, let's make sure that it's a balance of using this time wisely, getting better, perfecting our craft, but keeping in mind that they are kids and they do play for the fun of the game to a certain extent. A lot – we have a lot of guys in our program that they're, they're great kids. They work their tail off. But the biggest reason they're here is because they get to hang out with their boys. Mm -hmm. They get to work out with their boys. They get to have class with their boys. You know, yeah. they get they get to be with their buddies, and and that's a huge part of it. You know, the the expectation is different at the collegiate level, um, and it's like you brought up that first week is like, you know, we got to make sure that just because we can spend seventy hours a week with them, yeah, doesn't mean that we have to. 
Right. You know, because it is a game and, and this is still kind of the purest form of that. Yeah. So let's make sure that we're balancing things to maintain that purity. Yeah. I mean, and to go back to your point with the kids at Salina and the kids at Lipscomb Academy, there are good kids. And so like, they're not ever going to try to show up and be like, coach, man, I don't want to be here. They're truly going to fake it. And so it's hard for you as a coach to be like, man, I can't really tell here because you know, they're, they're going to be here 100%. And that's where I think it's hard, you know, kind of depending upon the, uh, the demographic you're in. It's like, you know, to whereas some of the schools I've been to in the past, it's like, they're going to tell you, you know, straight up coach, we are here way too much. I ain't coming tomorrow. You got a decision to make now. <laughs> and so it's different. So put me, put me in a program that deals with that. What's your response to a kid when he says that? Uh, I mean, it's, I think it's always figuring out the why, like, okay, why is he saying that? I mean, it's, you have to always reflect upon your program and think like, you know, and I think I mess it up a lot, but okay, well, what is it like going through his shoes right now? You know, especially when you're in programs like that with kids like that, they got a lot of things going on. I mean, they're trying to figure out, you know, where they're going to eat, at, you know, every night and stuff like that. So it's, it's different. Um, but I think you got to find out why he said that. Um, maybe it's something deeper and he's just acting out because he wants to actually talk to you. I don't know. I mean, I've had those situations and they've always been different. Um, or maybe he's just that guy who wants to speak out. Uh, every, every team has that too. So I think it's finding out the why, pulling him aside. It's always funny when you pull those guys aside individually. and It's like, whoa, what happened to that character that was just uh, out there in front of all your, all your friends? Why did you get quiet all of a sudden? You know, so pull him aside, talk to him, figure out what's going on, and then, you know, from there make your decision. For sure. I think that it's um – it's something that a lot of different groups approach a lot of different ways. And, you know, we've said it multiple times on here. It's, you know, there's a thousand ways to do this thing. There's yeah. a thousand ways to run offense, a thousand yeah. ways to run defense, a thousand ways to run a program. And they can all be successful, right? And kids are going to have different reasons for why they would speak out and say those type of things. And like you said, the vast majority of the time is it's not – directly correlated to I literally don't want to be here right. it has, it's usually I don't want to be here right now and yep. there's a reason that I'm trying to get you to ask me about right because yep. the kid's never gonna how often does a 17 year old walk up and go hey coach I'd really like to talk to you something that's deep and personal yeah he'd be a psychopath <laughs> correct correct um last thing I wanted to to, to talk about tonight um We've talked about, you know, them being kids and, and maintaining the fun and, and holding on to that. Um, tell me about when you've had the other kid, right, that is obsessed, mm -hmm. that is next-level driven, that is a psychopath, right? Yeah. I bring that up because I specifically remember, you know, Chase Daniel, who's had the greatest job for, like, ever as a backup at the NFL, right? with some big contracts and, and he's only had to start like 13 games in like 13 years. Yeah. Right. Um, but I remember when he was in high school and they talked about what his high school schedule was like his senior year and how, and it was something that I, that I took away from him. I was a sophomore in high school and I, they ESPN did like a special on him. They were playing Dent Ryan. It was like a top five nationally ranked matchup. And he, they talked about how he would go to the cafeteria, get his lunch, and then he'd go straight to the, the field house, and he would sit next to one of his assistants, yeah. and he would watch tape. And he had, like, a study hall period, and he would watch tape, right? And and so that was something that, like, my 
when I was in high school, I, I tried to adopt and, and, and do those things because, well, that's what good football players do. So that's, that's right. what I need to do. How does your approach change to an off season or to a game plan when you have a kid like that? Cause I know you've had them. Yeah. I mean, I think, I think at Lipscomb we had a lot of those. Um, I think the first thing you need to do is you need to identify if it's a kid or if it's a parent. Um, I've made that mistake before where I was like, man, this kid's extremely motivated. Like, no, it was actually just the parent. Um, and so you're, you know, but that kid goes back to, he's really good at, you know, saying what he's supposed to say, you know, doing what he's supposed to do, but he actually doesn't want to do it. And I think that makes him kind of get burnt out even more. Um, so I think it's finding out like, okay, your parents go on vacation for six months. You doing anything football or no, you're going to wake up and be like, Ooh, hold on. Mom and dad ain't here. I ain't gotta, I ain't gotta do football no more. I ain't doing it. Cause I don't like it. I, I think that, you know, we need to kind of identify that first and say, okay, well, is it, you know, is it the Chase Daniels of the world, you know, that are, that are truly intrinsically motivated. And if that's the case, now you're extremely lucky because now what you can do is you have an individual, whereas if it's a group, it's way harder because you don't want that huge separation. You know what I mean? But as an individual, as a coach, it's Christmas day because congratulations, you just gained another coach. And so you can take advantage of that, in my opinion, and allow him to grow, make him grow. And now almost speak to him like, Hey, here's what we're going to do today. Or even next week, don't say anything yet about it, but let's go ahead and get ahead of schedule. And now he knows everything that's going to happen before it happens. And now he can actually coach all the other players and congratulations. He's your, he's your new co-offensive coordinator and it makes it, your job that much more enjoyable. I think that's, um, you know, obviously I'm asking this question with Chase in mind because I know that y'all had that type of relationship. Yeah. You touched on it before. Yeah. Um, have you had a kid that you saw that and had to empower so he could find it? Or would you say that every kid that's that's been in that category, they were they kind of already knew that about themselves before you met them? As far as like intrinsic motivation, just true commitment, love, and understanding of the game. Yeah, that's a really good question. I mean, just quickly thinking about some of the players I've had. I mean, obviously Chase is, you know, one of the most special players ever I'll ever have, and it kind of sucks to have it so young. It's like, it's like you know, it's like shooting like the biggest deer of your life as like an eight-year-old. You're like, damn it, like the it's all downhill, it's all from, downhill here. from here. It's all downhill from here. It's gonna be good, but. Uh, I mean, but yeah, I mean, saying that, I mean, it's, um, Chase obviously had it. We talked about that before. I've had a, a couple in the past. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think, you know, one that I had, um, you know, at Taylor high school, he, I think he had it. He wanted it. He just didn't know how, uh, and I think a lot, honestly, most players are probably that way. Um, you know, he just needs somebody to kind of, you know, you know, take him to the water. And, and once he got there, he, he knew how to drink it, but, uh, he just didn't know how to get there. Uh, definitely had that you know the biggest thing is you know I say it all the time you got to figure out with your quarterback and this might sound like the stupidest thing ever but you got to figure out with your quarterback are you going to be in the driver's seat and then he thinks he's driving over there with the fake wheel just like in driver's ed or are you going to actually let him sit in the driver's seat and drive the actual wheel and then you kind of just have the brakes over there that you can you know tap on Either way, the kid thinks that, you know, he either has power or he thinks he has some power. But regardless, he has ownership, and that's the most important thing. You just got to be the judge of how much you actually give him. For sure. As opposed to 
putting him in the back seat and just telling him everything you're doing yeah and having him take notes no i like that um i think i think coaches can get themselves in trouble when their approach to that is well you say you want to do all these things you say you want to go to college what are you doing about it right yeah yeah um i think that's i don't want to call it a cop out but it's 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 the quick answer right mm-hmm. it's not okay Let's identify – he says the right things, but let's identify his true passion. What's he do? Is he is he trying to learn the game? Right. And he's just confused on where he's supposed to go next? He doesn't know what chapter to read? Mm-hmm. You know, or is he just faking it, right? Because, you know, even though only being at Salina as – from a high school level standpoint, you know, seeing a multitude – of of different categories and different levels. Mm-hmm. The one that left right before I got here that's now our quarterback's coach, Nathan Elliott. Yeah. Had it. Knew it. Yep. By the time he was a junior, you know, total control. Had the ability to to check certain things and and run certain quick game whenever he saw an opening. Yeah. Right? And we, you know, there's been a couple times we go back and watch and and you can see it on film where he checks something and you know, it's as simple as, hey, go stand right there. I'm going to throw you a five-yard hitch. Okay, there's a 30-yard gain, Yeah. right? Just little stuff like that. He had it, and he knew that he had the the, the desire and the passion and, and the ability on top of the love for the game and the thirst for the knowledge, right? Had a, another kid who, you know, kind of found his quarterback calling later, you know, not when he was nine, but, you know, once he got into high school – you know, had the physical tools, and we went, okay, you've got a chance to do this. Here's what we need to do about it. Had the thirst, had the desire, had the love for the game, got a little bit later start, and was constantly trying to play catch-up and doing certain things. Um, and from that standpoint, I think he's the kind of kid you want in the passenger seat with the steering wheel, see why I did this, see where I'm going. This mm-hmm. is what we would do in this situation. Um and, and those are the kind of kids that you almost look at and you're like, man, too little, too late. If I just had a little bit more time, we could have thrown him the keys, right? Yeah. Um, and then I think right now we're about to have a kid that's, you know, here, seeing the way he plays other sports and the confidence he exudes in the things that he's done since he was really little. And he has a, a total understanding of the game and, and how to play it, right? And for, from a football standpoint, he has a desire – to reach that level yeah. within the game of football, um, I think he's got a chance to do all of those things much earlier than people anticipate. And it's something that that our staff has talked about. Okay, this is what it looks like he wants to do. We're going to give him every opportunity to fail, right? Yeah. I want him to show me that we need to pull the reins back. Mm-hmm. You know, I want him to show me from a conceptual knowledge standpoint. I want him to show me from a control of tempo understanding situational football standpoint. I think that's the hardest part, right? Getting a kid, yeah. hey, you can understand why we go under Sam over Mike and why you're starting backside safety and frontside safety. You can do all that, right? What do you do after they spot the ball? How much time's on the clock? What hash are we on? Yeah. What's the lead? What's the deficit? All of those things, right? Um, but I, those are the ones that I, I really – desire to have within our program at any different position the guys that you know they may not have total mastery by the time they're a freshman in high school or have a clear-cut driven path of this is what i'm trying to accomplish yeah but once they do figure it out i get really excited about tailoring our relationship our communication 
and certain aspects of our program to to put that on a pedestal and highlight it. Yeah. No, I mean, it's, yeah. I mean, th- th- those having those type of, of kids obviously make our job way more enjoyable. But, you know, whenever Nathan you know, puts a kid out there and throws that five-yard hitch and nobody else really saw it except for you, and all of a sudden, you know, that kid scores and every coach is like, great call, coach. You're like, appreciate it, appreciate it. It had nothing to do with it at all. All uh, me. All me, All baby. me. Yeah. Um, I think a lot of it, maybe, maybe three decent examples that you – for me, I always try to look for. I mean, obviously, it's knowing your quarterback, but it's Marinovich, Brett Favre, Tom Brady. Which one is he? Yeah, yeah. What are you doing about it? Yeah, exactly. Like, is it, is it, you know, Mr. Robot? He's gonna say, do, you know, everything what he's supposed to do, but he actually has no clue who he is. He just wants to go serve. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, and he doesn't, you know figure that out until he's away from everybody else or, you know, or do you have the, you know, the Tom Brady that has that, that drive and he's going to will himself to be the quarterback. And, you know, he, you got to put him in those positions and he's going to continue to grow and be great. And then you have the Brett Favre where it's like, I don't know what the hell dime coverage is personnel. Uh, I don't care how many safeties are out there. I'm just going to sling it right there. <laughs> and he does it all the way to the hall of fame. <laughs> <laughs> that is still one of the greatest NFL stories. I hear y'all keep saying that. What does that even mean? Yeah, what, <laughs> what the hell's dime? <laughs> oh, that's all it is? Okay. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's, um, you know, identifying those relationships, I always kind of connect them back to to game situations. Okay, we got now, um, you know, we call uh, basically a pick play that's supposed to go down the sideline. And, you know, we're in the third round of the playoffs. This kid's 15 years old, right? He started yeah. a grand total of – this is his sixth start. You know, ton yeah. of varsity experience right there, right? And, I mean, we're calling the play because, like, hey, we know it's man coverage. Like, this guy's going to be open even if it's a 50-50 ball. Just give him a chance. Uh, just catch it. Throw it outside the numbers. Yada, yada, yada. Yep. Snap of the ball, safety sprints. Doesn't even look. Just sprints to the sideline. 35 yards downfield. What does he do? He passes the ball and he throws a slant. 40-yard game. And you're like, hey, not supposed to do that. Yeah, but, hey, great not, job. Not supposed to work. Good job. You know? Yeah. You come to the sideline, and I, I I tried to be really careful to to not ask a question that made me think that I was yeah. upset with him. Yeah, like, tough. hey, uh, why'd you do that? Yeah. And I, I played the scenario out, like, as many times as I could before I approached him about it. And I finally just went, did you see the kid? And he was like, yeah, that's why I threw it to Colin. And that guy took off. He didn't even look at him. I was like, oh, thank you. Thank you yeah. so much. Yeah. You know, because really any other answer, you're you're lucky that it worked, but you're in a yeah. pile of trouble. Yeah, because – but then at game time, do you even say anything? You're like, mm, dang it. Because you don't want – I mean, you don't want to screw the kid up right there. You don't want to mess with his flow. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. It's uh, – it's yeah, it's, it's definitely a, – it's a tough call, especially game time. But, yeah. Okay, it's, same thing happened the year before. Uh, we're in the first round of playoffs, and you know we're running cross, and kid on the outside. We know it's man free. He's six seven. That kid's not. So we call a play, and you know I'm in the headset at this time. I was up in the booth, and I just I, I before the snap, I was like, he should just catch the throw, and he should just catch the snap, and throw it to DJ. And he didn't, and <laughs> he starts his progression backside safety front side safety all that only reason i said that is because the safety was super tight to the hash there's no way he's getting over the top 
Yeah. But, you know, got to give it to the kid because he still tried to. Because on the snap yeah. of the ball, he turned and sprinted. And so he hits the cross in stride, scores a 50-yard touchdown, jogs his sideline, throws a headset on. Before I could even say anything, he goes, I was about to throw it to DJ, but that kid just took off running so fast off the hash, there was no way I couldn't throw it to Isaiah. Good for him. You know? Yeah. And and that was what I wanted. That With him, where he was in his career, the the why was was almost as important as the execution, right? Yeah. And 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 that's where we're we're moving towards is is get being proactive with the why with with this next group. Um, yeah, because I think the that's where the empowerment comes from. That's where you can get a kid who likes the game to fall in love with the game. Hundred percent. When the, when the game becomes chess. Yep. For them. Yep. While everybody else is still playing checkers. Yep. Who doesn't love to play games that they're the best at, right? Yep. Who yep. doesn't love to pick up Mario Kart when you know the the secret code to jump and yep. and win the race, right? Who yep. doesn't love to play things that they know that they're best at? Yeah. So that's that's really why I try and push the empowerment and and be proactive with the why because, you know, we could take a kid that that likes the game and he's a good athlete and he kind of likes the game and oh maybe I'll do this, man. He gets a little bit of that empowerment. He gets a little bit of, like mastery level knowledge just yeah. a little bit yeah you know and now a kid goes from liking a game to loving it yeah you like it you like the chess and checkers don't you <laughs> yeah that's that's one of my go-tos shout yeah. out Kaz Kazadi. yeah um I, w- I will go back you know something serious real quick about the you know knowing the quarterbacks one thing I've always done just you know not telling anybody how to coach but it's always interesting with every kid I've always talked to them been like hey you know don't interception what's the first thing you think about is it mom or dad is it you're pissed at yourself? You're thinking about, you know, you're pissed at yourself and then it's the coverage isn't, you know, how can I figure it out? You're scared I'm going to get mad at you. I think that tells you a lot about your quarterback. And until you know that, you don't know your quarterback. But I think if you do know that, that fixes a lot of issues. Just in, in my opinion, I think that's one of the biggest things that coaches overlook. It's like knowing your kid, how is he going to respond? I mean, it's just like a girlfriend. You got to get to know her. You have to. Um, you got you got to know what makes him tick, what doesn't. But little things like that, especially for a high school kid, it makes a huge difference. Because at the end of the day, uh, I mean, we're not thinking about that stuff, but that's a big deal to him. Like, is he going to go home and get reamed by his father? Is he, you know, is, is he scared that we're going to yell at him? If that's the case, if, I, if I've been yelling too much, um, I think those little things, as far as you know, with quarterbacks and how they operate, I think it's very, very important. Absolutely, because if it's the first or the last one, yeah, you got to reapproach your relationship with the kid yeah and how you're going to move forward yeah and their conversations they had with you i mean that's that's perfect that's what you want they're speaking football uh and they're speaking football freely um and they're not scared about what they're going to say what they're not going to say that's that's how it should be that's a healthy relationship